So about 14 years ago, I met a girl. She had blonde hair and blue eyes. She was athletic. She was friendly. She was caring. She was sweet. She was extremely smart. And best I could tell, short of blackmail or anything else illegal, she was way out of my league. And I'm a country boy at heart. I grew up the first uh, early years of my life on a, on a farm, so to speak. In fact, if you go to our Morrisville campus, the property where that campus is, is actually the farmland where we used to hang out and where we were raised. And so if you ever sit in a chair there, there's a good chance that I've driven on a three-wheeler across where it is that you're sitting. So welcome to church in our backyard if you're out there. But for me, when we met, um, I was at a time where I was just taking, dating is kind of taking a backseat. I hadn't been able to really get that thing right for some reason in my life. I couldn't completely understand women, if you know what I'm saying. And so that was a challenge for me. And, but when we met, we actually ended up involved in some of the same circles at the same time. So we were involved in a ministry on campus called Athletes in Action at NC State. Any Wolfpack fans in here? Yeah. Yeah, so I was on the wrestling team there. She was on the cross country and track team there. And so I did a lot of leadership stuff for the guys. She did a lot of leadership stuff for the girls. And so as a result of that, we ended up in some of the same places at the same time. And one of those times where we ended up at the same place, and I can remember this like it was yesterday, it was the Athletes in Action Christmas party, okay? And it was at the Athletes in Action director's house. And I was walking through his living room. And the front door opened, and she walked in. And I can remember thinking to myself, Jason, you are an idiot. And I thought that more than I normally think it, because that crosses my mind from time to time. But here's this girl that is gorgeous, and she seemingly has it all together. And you were doing nothing to get to know her intentionally. And so from that night on, I began to be very intentional to make sure that I showed up at some of the same places where she was at the same time that she was there. Now, you might call that stalking. <laughs> and you'd be close to being right, but it worked out okay for me. But over the next few months, as my senior season of wrestling winded down, uh, one night I asked her out on a date, and in a moment of her feeling sorry for me, no doubt, she said yes. But over the next six to seven months after that, we began to be very intentional with our time together. She'd write me cards. I'd call her on the phone. Uh, we'd exchange emails. We'd go to dinner at, at Case Dining Hall on our meal plan or picnics because we didn't have any money back then. <laughs> but that's what we did, and we began to grow closer together. Then about seven months after that, one night at Pullen Park in Raleigh, I got down on one knee, and I asked her to be my wife. And she said yes, and then what that led to is eight months after that, we committed to living this crazy life together that hasn't stopped over the last 11 years. Now, can you imagine what would have happened in our relationship if at any point I would have said, hey, I don't think we're going to spend any time together anymore. Or hey, I really like her and I hope that our relationship grows, but I don't know if she really wants to get to know me. Or if I would have said this one, I, I don't think I'll ever fully understand women, and so I'm just going to sit this one out until I get there. If I'd have done that, do you think our relationship would have ever grown to be what it was? Much less, let's get married. And the answer is, of course not, because we know for a relationship to grow, it takes time, it takes intentionality, and it takes action. And so the effort that was put in on both of our sides, on my side and from her side, that led us to knowing each other and ultimately her having the opportunity to marry the man of her dreams. <laughs> she was here last night, so I can say that this morning. But we get that. Knowing anything in life, it takes time, intentionality, and it takes action. It takes time. It doesn't matter how much you cram for an exam over the course of, of a week, much less a day. Um, you're going to know that material better over the course of 12 months or over the course of five years. 
Intentionality, what you do over the course of that time matters. Being very intentional if it's sports, doing very specific drills intentionally and consistently over that period of time makes you better. If, if you want to grow in a relationship with your family, if you want to get to know them better, you need to be intentional and put down the smartphones for a little bit. Right? I see half of you, the women elbowing the men right now in the room. But we need to know that. And then action. Reading books and going to a class for eight to ten years would have never led me to become an all-American wrestler. It just wouldn't happen. Knowing everything about your spouse and what they love, if you don't take action and do it, doesn't really do you a whole lot of good. Or about this, none of us ever want to hear from our surgeon, I am so excited to do this. This is my first time having the chance to do this surgery. <laughs> none of us want to hear that because we know that to know something, it actually takes time, intentionality, and actually putting it into action before you know it. And I think what's interesting is while we intuitively know that's true, we don't always apply that logic when it comes to, to knowing God, much less knowing our Bible. And even if you're a non-Christian in here and you don't even know what the church is all about, you believe that the Christian should know what the Bible says. We just say it should help us grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, and we should spend our time getting to know it. We know that, but for some reason, we don't always act on that like we did in the beautiful love story that you heard before. And best I can tell, that's most of us. I put myself in that boat. Knowing we were coming up on this series, Taking God at His Word, I spent some time just asking our staff here, I asked some friends of mine who are Christians and who are professing not Christians. And I asked them, do you think you spend enough time reading the Bible? Every single one of them said no. Every one of them. At Hope in 2008, so this was, you know, what, five, six years ago, we did this uh, thing, something that's called a reveal study, okay? So this is a long time ago and the church was about half the size. So I'm sure this data is not exact now. But a reveal study is when you poll your congregation and you ask them things about their own spiritual disciplines, okay? And so these are the results that we got from this reveal study. 86% of our church indicated the importance of the church helping them understand the Bible. 93% indicated the importance of weekend services like this, incorporating relevant Bible teaching that applies scripture to my everyday life. 93%. But while that's true, only 14% of our church said that they read or reflect on the scriptures on a regular basis with only 8% doing so daily. So all of us, or at least the vast majority of us, we know that the Bible is important, but most of us, or a larger majority of it, we don't engage it on a regular basis, much less daily. So if that's the case, if we know that the Bible is important and we should get to know it, and we know that to know something takes time, intentionality, and action, we're missing something because we're not taking the time to get to know the Bible the way that we should. In Kevin D. Young's book, Taking God at His Word, which is largely what this next three weeks series is based out of, he suggests that if we don't take the time to know the Bible that we should, it largely comes out of one of three areas. One, we, because we don't believe that it's knowable. Two, because we don't believe it's necessary and or three, because we don't believe it's enough. So knowable just says it's too impossible to understand. It's too complicated. If you think it's not necessary, say, no, I can handle life. I can find success and purpose and hope in my life without the Bible. Or if you don't think it's enough, you think, well, yeah, there's some valuable stuff in here, but there's value in a lot of things. And so I don't need to spend too much time here because I need to engage truth from a lot of different places. 
This week, we're specifically focusing on whether or not the Bible is knowable. And then over the next two weeks, we're going to look at, is it necessary? Is it enough? And Pastor Brian Chaney, our Morrisville campus pastor, will engage one of those. And Doug Stride will wrap up the series. But this week, we're going to look specifically at, can we know what the Bible says? And I mean you personally, in your seat right now as you sit here, without the help of a pastor or a pope or a bishop, is the Bible knowable? So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to Deuteronomy chapter 30, and we're going to start there. Uh, We're going to move around a little bit in the Bible uh, this weekend, especially because it's hard to engage the Bible as a whole without moving through it a little bit. So go ahead there. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll have the passages up on your side screens or in the Get Hope app in the message notes. Everything that you need is there as well. A little background on the book of Deuteronomy. It's really the book of Deuteronomy in the Bible is Moses giving the Israelites, God's chosen people, the law for the second time before they enter into the promised land. If you remember a few weeks back, we talked about the story of Moses and how God used Moses to call the Israelites out of Egypt and take them out of slavery in Egypt and take them to the promised land. Deuteronomy is really a 30 plus chapter sermon from Moses giving the law again to the Israelites just before they go back into the promised land. And so you can tell he's been with them for 40 years in the desert. They've seen the law before. They know it. Moses has seen up close and personal. They haven't always lived it out. And so he gives it to them again just before they head into the promised land. And here's what he says after he gives them the law for the second time. Verse 11, chapter 30. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you'll have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you'll have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near to you. Remember that. It's very near. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. So Moses is saying, this law that that you're being given, that you've heard before, but it's given to you from God, it's not too hard to comprehend. You can do this thing. I know you can do it, even though you haven't done it. And Moses is saying what I feel like I say to my kids on a regular basis at bedtime. Parents, you with me on this? Hey, guys, it's bedtime, and so I want you to go ahead to bed, and I want you to stay in bed. Okay, Dad. Five minutes later, out of the bed. Hey, bud. I thought we talked about this. You were going to stay in the bed. I can't stay in the bed. No, I'm pretty sure you can stay in the bed. This is not that hard. You just don't want to stay in the bed. Maybe you have a friend who's got a bad habit. And you said to them, listen, this this thing that you're doing, it's wrecking your life. Or it's ruining your relationships with other people. And it's not that hard. It's not that you don't understand. You, You just need to act on it. You've got to stop. And so Moses is simply saying, this law, it's not too hard to understand. You don't have to have someone to go up to heaven to understand it and comprehend it and then come back down and explain it to you. You don't have to have someone to swim across the English Channel so that they can be equipped. The word is near to you. So you could say, well, Jason, that is great. That's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? That was a long time ago. And so let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. says this, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that all God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Paul is saying to Timothy in here that all Scripture is useful so that we may be equipped. It would be hard for something to be useful if it wasn't knowable. 
Okay, my dad, he was a custom cabinet maker. So he has this shop in his backyard, and it's filled with different cabinet making equipment, planers, joiners, shapers, radio alarm saws, table saws. To him, that shop is very, very useful because he knows how to use that stuff. If I go in there by myself, it's just not as useful. I don't know what I'm doing. And Paul is simply saying, if you want to know how to teach people, if you want to teach yourself, use Scripture. If you want to find satisfaction in life, use God's Word. If you want to know how to have difficult conversations with other people, if you want to finally have relationships that are healthy and that are thriving, you need to go to the Bible. So the Old Testament and the New Testament both saying the same thing about whether or not the Bible is knowable. In the church, and I don't just mean at Hope, I just mean the church globally, there's this thing that's called the doctrine of clarity. Okay, and I know anytime you're in church and somebody wants to talk to you about a doctrine or a theology, you kind of want to say, hey, wake me up when he brings it back in. But just stay with me for one second here. It's, it's actually called the doctrine of perspicuity, and I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, much less could I spell it right to put it in my notes. So we're going to call it the doctrine of clarity. And here's what it says. While every verse in the Bible may not be fully knowable all the time by everyone, everything that's needed for salvation and for godly, and for godly living is 100% clear and consistent and available to anyone who has ears to hear or eyes to read. Okay, I'll say that again. While every verse in the Bible may not be 100% knowable and understandable by everyone all the time, Everything that's needed for salvation, so for a restored and right relationship between us and God, and for godly living, how to find peace, purpose, hope, healthy relationships, how to find a blessed life, everything that's needed for that is clear and consistent all the way throughout the Bible for anyone who has ears to hear or eyes to read. That's the doctrine of clarity. Now, I'm smart enough to know that by throwing up a few verses on the screen and by telling you a doctrine in the church, it's not enough to argue anyone into believing that the Bible is knowable. And ultimately, that's not my goal. It's not. I was telling someone this week, you really have two options when you engage this topic, which is kind of a difficult topic because most of the time someone either believes this or they don't. You have two options. One, you can preach to the head. Or two, you can preach to the heart. And when I look at the Bible, God does both. I think ultimately it lends himself to, to preaching to the heart, but because it does both, we're going to try to do both right now. And I'm going to start just by preaching to the head, just for a moment. So I want to recognize, if there is doubt that the Bible is knowable, it usually comes from one of three objections, okay? The first is called the mystical objection, and that simply says this, I can't read the Bible because God and the Bible are too hard to understand. God is too transcendent. There's no way I could ever get my mind around everything that the Bible says. That's pretty straightforward. The second is what's called the Catholic objection. And this basically says that the Bible is not clear, it's not sufficiently clear in and of itself. And so you need to have someone who is trained to read this and then to be able to explain it to you. I need someone to tell me what it means. And so that leaves us extremely reliant on the Pope or on bishops or even a pastor like here at Hope. And then the last objection is what Kevin D. Young refers to as the pluralism objection. And that basically says, yeah, the Bible is difficult. It's hard to understand. But the real problem is, is that whoever reads it, is gonna, it's going to take on different meanings for them. And so why really spend time reading it if the truth is so relative? And at the heart of all these objections, ultimately are well-intentioned thoughts 
well-intentioned people, but I want you to hear that most of them come out uh, of a, a largely growing postmodern thought that's going on in our culture right now. And at the heart of all those are, all things are relative. Truth is in the eyes of the beholder. There's no such thing as universal truth. But really, what those are at the heart of them are just excuses that let us off the hook for really making an attempt to get to know the God of the Bible. But we believe those, and then it holds us back from knowing. Just to give you an idea of what I mean by this postmodern thought, maybe you've heard the cute story of the six blind men and the elephant. The story goes like this. There's six blind men and an elephant, and one of them goes up to the side of the elephant and feels the side of the elephant and says, oh, this is a wall. And then another blind man goes up to the ear of the elephant and waves and says, no, it's not a wall. This is a fan. And then another blind man goes up to the trunk of the elephant and says, you guys are crazy. This, this is a tree. And the point of that story, when you work all the way through it, is that at the end of the day, we're all blind men when it comes to knowing God. Each of us can know a part of God, but none of us can really understand all of them. And that sounds deep. You know, I get that. But there's two problems with that story. The first problem is it's told from the vantage point of someone who knows that the elephant is an elephant, which doesn't work in the story, right? Because in the story, we're all blind men. And so you shouldn't be able to say that's an elephant and that's what God's like if you're blind. That's a small problem with the story. The second problem is a bigger problem. I will concede this. It is impossible for us to know everything that we need to know about God in a vacuum. But the problem is the story avoids a paradigm-shifting question that's this. What if the elephant could talk? What if the elephant can say, this is my side. That's my ear, and that's not a tree. Please stop touching it. That's my trunk. <laughs> and while it's a great story to theorize over and to contemplate, I would suggest to you that God has gone to great lengths to make himself known, to talk to us, to engage us. He, he's given us the Bible, and the truth is the Bible is knowable. Here's what the Bible is, in case you don't know. It's 66 books that was written over a period of about 1,500 years by 40 different authors with varying literary forms. So if you asked for that in general, if you said, hey, I want somebody to write my biography, there's a high chance for error with that many variables. But given all of those variables, there is one clear and consistent theme all the way through the Bible, cover to cover, and it's this, redemption. God making right what we've messed up, cover to cover. You see, in the very beginning, in Genesis, God creates Adam and Eve, and he walks through the garden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. He wants to be known. Even when Adam and Eve, they turn their back on God, and they don't trust that what God has for them is what's best, and they turn their back on him, and they don't believe what he says is true, and they go and hide as a result because they're feeling shame, God goes looking for them. He says, Adam, where are are you? God relentlessly pursues us. And then he clothed them when they couldn't clothe themselves. He did for them what they couldn't do for themselves. That's in the very beginning. And then all throughout the Old Testament is story after story after story of God's people turning their back on them and walking away and not living out the life that he's called them to. I'll just ask if that sounds familiar to you in your life. Sounds familiar to me. But that, so that's consistent throughout the Old Testament. But just as that is consistent in the Old Testament, 
God is just as consistent pursuing and pursuing and pursuing, and he's constantly calling his people back and calling his people back and saying, hey, don't forget, this is how you were created to live. Don't forget, this is how you experienced a blessed life. Don't forget who I am. This is how you know me. This is how I care for you. This is the life that I have for you. God wants to be known. He's consistent. And the New Testament, Romans 1.20 says this, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen. So God has been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. That's recognizing it's actually hard to go outside on a beautiful day and not see the fingerprints of God. When you look at design, when you see a sunset, when you see a mountain range, when you see a child playing, when you look at the human body, can you really deny that your soul is coming alive because you're witnessing the creativity and the fingerprints of your creator? God is consistent. He's revealing himself to us. He wants to be known. And so he's given us this book, okay? It's a collection of writings that that all paint the same overarching story, but it also has all kinds of subplots that you can learn from. Things like, what is God like? What does he desire? The mission-centered heart of God. You see how God is constantly reaching after his people. That's why our vision as a church is to reach the triangle and change the world. You see the community-centered heart of God. God is always about reconciling his relationship with us and us having reconciled and peaceful and loving and encouraging relationships with each other. That's why as a church, we're so big on small groups. Subplots like how to find an abundant life, a blessed life, how to know that you're forgiven, how to have consistent and healthy relationships. All of that is in the Bible. He's given us the Bible to know him. He's revealed himself through creation. But he didn't stop there. If you go back to my illustration earlier uh, with my wife, can you imagine the difference my relationship would have had with her if we never saw each other face to face? What if the only communication that we had with each other was through email, maybe handwritten letter or text? I think we texted back then. I don't remember. I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, About seven or eight years ago, I'll start here. I was on staff at Hope from 2003 until 2006. And then myself and another pastor here, we planted a church in downtown Raleigh. And I was there until 2012. And they're still down there doing great. But probably seven years ago, uh, we were at that church at that point in time, and my mom and stepdad came in uh, to one service, and then they asked if in between the services they could talk to me and my wife and to my brother and to his wife. We said, sure. So we came in, and I can't remember if I was preaching or leading worship that morning, but we sat down, and she said, listen, guys, I need to tell you something. Okay, mom, what do you got? She said, when I was 16, I got pregnant. And times were different back then, and, and so I've, you know, forgiven Grandma for this, but she thought that, man, people would maybe look at our family in a different way um, if people found this out. And, and I'm really worried about you. Are you going to be able to find the success in life that, that you're really supposed to have if you keep this baby? And so I want you to put it up for adoption. And so she actually sent my mom away to a pregnancy camp for unwed mothers. And my mom's brother and sister didn't even know. The story was they told everyone that she was going to go live with her aunt for the summer. And so no one knew. And she delivered the baby. And I'll never forget the story that my mom told. She said she delivered the baby. And um, that night she woke up because she heard him crying. And so she got up. And so she went to the room where he was. And she picked him up and held him. And uh, 
The nurses and attendants, of course, came in because that wasn't a part of the adoption process. That wasn't allowed. And she said, that's the last time that I ever saw my son. But I've known my entire life that I've had a son out there. And you probably never have known this, but I've been carrying that around with me. And I want you to know that about a week or so ago, I, I got a letter in the mail. And he found us. And he said, he, you know, at a minimum, he'd love just to get some questions answered for some health reasons. But as we've communicated through letters, he said, I want you to know it seems like something is there, like there's more to our relationship, and I'm starting to come alive to this. And he actually said that he wants to meet. And he said, if that's going to tear your family apart, you know, I had a great upbringing. My, my, my family is fantastic. They raised me. But I'd love to meet you guys. And if it's not going to tear apart your family or anything, I would love for us to connect. But no pressure. It's really no big deal. And so my mom told us, she said, I, I would love for us to connect. I'd love for us to meet. And we did. And I would tell you something in my mom changed when they saw each other face to face. Our families, you know, we're trying to figure out now how to mesh them back together. And it's not clean. It's been five or six years, but I've had the chance to spend a lot of time now with him and his beautiful wife and his three beautiful children. But there's something that happens when you actually interact with each other face to face that just doesn't happen of, because of knowledge that something exists. By the way, as it would work out, uh, <laughs> I'll jump back into this. They had been going to Hope for years, and my mom and stepdad did, and we lived right down the street from each other. And, like, so, I mean, we see them all the time, and they're in and out of here all the time. So it's funny how God works. But there is something about knowing someone face-to-face that isn't known from a distance. And I told you that story because I want you to understand that God knows that. And he didn't, he didn't just rely on words in a page. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come down to this earth and to walk alongside of us. He, remember in Deuteronomy, the word is near. He said, I'm, I'm truly going to come near to you. And I want you to look at what the Bible says in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. The word is Jesus. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And listen to this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. And if you want to know God, full of truth and grace. And so if you didn't know this, and if you've never heard this before, it's my privilege to tell you and my honor to tell you if you've heard this before, then it's a privilege just to remind you, God didn't settle for words on a page. God didn't settle for stories from afar. He decided to step out of heaven and into earth as one of us to experience our pain, to share in our laughter, and to live and to model the life that the word of God calls us to. He said, I'm a God of love, a God of grace, a God of truth, a God of sacrifice. And I'm going to call you into that, but I'm going to come down and model it for you first. And not only that, I'm going to model that life of surrender because in the midst of you not living your life that way, instead of you getting what you deserve from your sin, which is death and separation from God and bitterness and shame and doubt, I'm going to sacrifice to the full, and I'm going to take that penalty, and I'm going to take it to the grave. And three days later, I'm going to raise from the dead once and for all, overcoming sin and death, not just so that you can read about me being powerful enough to do that, but so that you can know, if you know me, there is nothing in your life that can come against you. God said, I want you to know me. And I'm going to take time, 
and I'm going to be intentional, and I'm going to take action. So much so that I'm coming to you. The Word became flesh, and his name was Jesus. And so if we want to ask the question, is the Bible knowable? This is what you need to remember from this week right here. The Bible is knowable because God's desire is to be known. It's consistent all throughout Scripture. The Bible is knowable because God's desire is to be known. I'm convinced that he's gone to great lengths to make sure that you and I can know who he is. In fact, I would suggest to you that no one in your life has gone to greater lengths to have a relationship with you. Remember, we said earlier, it takes time, intentionality, and action. For thousands of years, we've had the Bible. It's gone through persecution. People have tried to get rid of it. It's here. He's been intentional, and he's taken action. So is the Bible knowable? I would say God's done everything he can do to make himself known. It's our move. You know, in the story from earlier, it's like when I got down on my knee in front of my wife, and I said, will you marry me? And she started doing this thing with her hands that I still don't really know what this means. And her eyes started watering and an eternal silence happened. And then she said, I don't know what to say. And I said, yes, I don't know what you should say, but I'd love it if you said yes. I'm down here. That thing on your finger costs a lot of money and I'm kind of vulnerable. And so yes would be good. But what's crazy when you read scripture you want to know how God refers to the church? It's the bride of Christ. So God has said, I know you're going to come to these places in your life where you're going to wonder if I'm knowable, how can you know me? And I'm going to do everything I can do to make sure that you know that I can be known. And my hope is that you don't hear a message this weekend that that says, you need to read your Bible to be a good person. Or if you don't read your Bible X times a week, God's going to judge you. My hope is that you hear the truth is that it's about taking the time to know the God who loves you and has done everything that he can do to make himself known to you. In the midst of our rebellion, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of you right now where you sit, I mean, I don't know what's going on in your life. Considering that affair, carrying around bitterness, lack of forgiveness, living selfishly, he took action and gave everything that he had so that we could know him. And I pray that you would get to a place of saying, he has made himself knowable. Why in the world would I not want to get to know the creator of the universe? I'm going to grow in my relationship with him. And if that's you, I just want to tell you what that looks like. At Hope, we're, we're very much into next steps and keeping things as simple as we possibly can. And so I'm going to give you four things that you can do. If that's where you are and you want to grow in your understanding of God and what the Bible says, here's the first thing. It's not rocket science. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to read it. You could come here on the weekends and you could listen to me, or better yet, you can hear Pastor Mike. You could hear Pastor Brian Chaney at our Morrisville campus, or Jean Alix down at our Haiti campus, or Dave Lanuti at our Holly Springs campus. And you'd learn a little bit about the Bible, but that's one day a week. You could join a small group and spend more time with people actually talking about how the Bible applies to your life, and you learn even more about the Bible. The primary way that God wants you to get to know him and to understand him is by you taking the time to read your Bible. And you could say, okay, I'll do it, but I don't really know where to start. Okay, we've spent some time in the book of John this morning. Let's do this. Read the book of John. It's 21 chapters. That's three chapters a day. You can read the whole book in a week. Just start there. And at the end of that week, if you don't know what to do next, 
Read the book of John again. Three chapters a day, seven days a week, 21 chapters. What you'll see is what you pick up on and how it speaks to your life the second week is different than the first week because it really is a living word. If you get to two weeks and you don't know what to do after that, read the book of John again. And you're going to see how it applies to your life and you're going to come to know the heart of God. Now, after three weeks, if you don't know, just call somebody and we'll give you some ideas because <laughs> you probably need to move on to something else. Read your Bible. The second thing you can do is journal. Okay, I'm not a big journaler. I normally journal in life when it seems like God is really working on me on something or refining a certain area of my life or maybe he's calling me to something else. So I'm, I'm in a period right now of journaling a bit. It's what's, what's crazy is your mind and your heart and your soul just work a different way when you're writing things down and when you're having to think about what you're going to write and when you read your own writing. And so just spend some time journaling. The third thing, again, not rocket science, it's prayer. You need to pray. And a lot of times when we think about prayer, we think about how we ask God for things. And so I would turn the tables on you a little bit and say, let's not ask, let's just listen. So read the Bible and then spend time, God, what is it that you're trying to say to me? Now, Pastor Mike, he came in this week around the office and, and you can tell, first of all, that he is a fantastic Bible teacher and communicator that hasn't been on the pulpit in like six weeks because he's busting at the seams to dump everything on us that he can. But he's starting a new series in August that's going to be all about listening from and hearing from God. And it's going to be fantastic. So he's really going to lean into this. So I don't want to give, uh, steal too much of his thunder. But he said he thinks he wants to call the series Shut Up. So I don't, I don't know if that's going to make it through the comm team or not, but you can tell vintage Pastor Mike is locked and loaded and ready to go for August. So you need to pray. And then lastly, and this is a big one, you need to act. You know, there's people at this church, and we have conversations all the time, but, you know, I love it. You hear people say, I want to go deep in the Word of God. I just want to dig down into the word and we got to teach it more. And there's people that say that here. I love you. But <laughs> the truth is, and that's great. We do need to know more. We do need to go deep into God's word. But the problem for the majority of us is not that we don't know enough. The problem is that we actually don't do what we know. And I think it's 1 Corinthians 1.8. It says that knowledge puffs. It's not just about knowing and packing in knowledge. And we miss that. Matthew 7, 24 says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. John 8, 32. So if you partner with me and read this, you'll read this again in like three days in the book of John. Jesus said, If you hold on to my teaching, okay, if you do what I say, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you do what I've commanded you to do, then you will know the truth, and then the truth will set you free. And I can't stress, stress this enough. True knowing happens in the doing. And that's where we experience the freedom in our lives that the Bible talks about. It's actually living out the life that we were called to. I've got a principle here for you. I want you to write it down. Um, it rhymes, so I apologize for that. But you'll remember it. For a relationship to grow... You have to act on what you know. And I know, you can make fun of me, but you'll remember it. If you want to know God, you have to act on the teaching. That's ultimately how our relationship with Jesus grows. Again, could you imagine how my relationship with my wife would be if I knew everything that she loved, but I never acted on it? How would the state of our household rest? God's revealed himself to us. We have to act. 
Now, my hope is honestly that, that we find the life that we know in our souls that we're ultimately created for, a life of hope, a life of purpose. But that comes from knowing God. He's gone above and beyond to make himself known. The Bible is knowable because God's desire is to be known. But when I started prepping for this sermon, I, I, I came up with three questions that I thought I needed to answer because I thought you would be asking them. And it's this. These are the three questions. One, is the Bible knowable? And I think we address that. I think, you know, it's clear all the way throughout Scripture. And a better question, is God knowable? It's clear all the way throughout the Bible. He's revealed himself to us through creation. And he sent his son to walk alongside of us so the living word could come near. God is knowable. How is he knowable? Question two, we've given you some really clear practical steps. Read your Bible, pray, journal, act on what you already know. The biggest question is really the last one. Is he worth knowing? That's the question you have to ask yourself. And we're going to look at that over the next couple of weeks. Is the Bible necessary? Is it enough? But this weekend, I want every one of us to engage this question. Is he worth knowing? And that's a question only you can answer. For me, I think he is. He's changed my life. I pray that you will find the time and that you will put in the effort to get to know him. Because believe it or not, we can't see ourselves for who we are unless we see God for who he is. A.W. Tozier is quoted as saying this, what we think about God is the most important thing about us. So if you think God is some transcendent God that's distant, that doesn't want to have anything to do with you ever, and he's just reigning and judging from a long ways away, you're not going to want to get to know him. But if you believe that God is a knowable God that's done everything he can do to make himself known to you, he's filled up the Bible with stuff about him, with stories that point to his goodness and his grace and his truth and his love. And if you believe you can see him in creation and if you believe that he sent his son for you, I believe you'll do everything you can do to get to know him. The Bible is knowable because God's desire is to be known. It's up to us to respond. Let's pray. God, I, um, I thank you that you've given us your word. But more than that, I thank you that, that you have a desire to be known. I thank you that you've gone to great lengths to make yourself available to us so that we can see the truth and the grace and the love and the peace and the hope and the purpose that it is that you ultimately have for each and every one of us. So God, I ask that you would put inside of us just a, a new awakening and a new awareness of your desire to be known and the lengths that you've gone to to make yourself available. And I pray that you would put a passion in each and every one of us to pursue you and to chase after you with all that we have. And we love you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen.